Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, how would this buck season be remembered when they do the post-mortem on it? And is it now Stanley Cup or bust for the Tampa Bay Lightning? We'll ask Tom Jones. Former columnist of the Tampa Bay Times, now with the Pointer Institute of Media Studies in just a minute. And it's USF against Marshall in the Gasparilla Bowl tonight. We'll get a preview of that game and how the Bulls fared on National Signing Day from Joey Knight, who covers the Bulls for the Tampa Bay Times. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, before we get started, if you're like me, you're probably sick and tired of paying these high electric bills, right? My last electric bill was well over $300, and folks... That's insane. Well, if you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bills, listen to me now. May Electric Solar, that's right. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available, and they don't use high voltage like many other companies. And May Electric Solar has been using a 25-year warranty, uh, giving that away for all their equipment and labor. And guess what? They use their own employees. No subcontractors ever. And May Electric Solar has a full showroom, and you can see their products, and they're open on weekdays. So stop the insanity of out-of-control electric bills. Start saving 90 to 95% right now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You call them right now. You can also receive a 30% tax credit by changing to solar energy through 2019. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Okay, Tom Jones joins us now from his vacation or staycation, as the case may be. We appreciate you being with us. Um, you probably should have gone away, I think. That would be maybe a better idea, or are you, are you happy being at home right now? Uh, I'm bored already. <laughs> I don't start my new job at Pointer for a couple of weeks here. And, it's uh, been a week. I know, and so I've gone I go to the gym. But my son said to me yesterday, what would you do, Dad? So I went to the gym, and I made a sandwich that's about all i've done today and that was about eight o'clock last night so it sounds like the greatest day of my life a sandwich in the gym i know well your Ooh. your world's about to get not that you're not always busy anyway but your oh, world's gonna about to get super busy here in a few weeks it is before we get started on that today is uh what they call national fax machine day although college football recruiting and national signing day has uh, allowed i guess for electronic uh, submissions of uh, letters of intent I just had a question. When's the last time you can remember using a fax machine? Uh, wow. Gee, it's been year. It's been a couple of years, right? Yeah. I can't. We used to have one in the sports department, and I used to we know did. that number well. And it used to be right next to my desk and, it would, and all these. And you know what else? It never comes in anymore that I miss is media guides from mm -hmm. like colleges. Remember, you worked, in, you worked at the Times downtown. Oh, yeah, we'd have stacks of them. We'd have stacks of them. All these boxes every day, the UPS guy would come and deliver like 30 a day. And you'd open yeah. up, oh, here's, here's Oklahoma State. Oh, here's USC, you know. And, uh, we would, and that's the only way you could look up stuff either. <laughs> yeah, in my you know, day, let me tell right, you. Well, it was better then. And, <laughs> and the uh, internet. That's right. The interweb. Uh, they, they, even the Bucks um, and some NFL teams stopped. They, Here's the secret, the secret that nobody knows. They still produce them, but not at a mass level. Right, right. But if you're important enough and you ask for one, like I think Fred Goodall did of the AP, 
he actually got a bound copy of of the uh, of the media guide. Otherwise, it's electronic, as most things are. The I, thing I used to also like too, when when the media guy would come in for the University of Florida, we would set the over under on how many times Steve Spurrier's photo would be in it, and it was usually like <laughs> usually around thirty five was the over under on it. You know, you know uh, who had the biggest like yellow pages media guide was the Miami Dolphins. They uh, who was it Harvey down there? Um, Harvey not Harvey Harvey Harvey, no, Harvey, Harvey Green I think it's Harvey, Harvey Greenberg. Greenberg yeah, yeah. He, and he became their historian he was their PR guy for years he put out of course he was a tremendous PR guy but he put out like literally this thing was probably about three or four inches thick and and I'd say half of it was Dan Marino you know like yeah, the, you exactly. get the Dan Marino section it was like forty five pages but no I think the last time. Um, that I probably used it was we used to use it for remember when you go away and you forgot like a folio or you forgot a bill from your hotel the hotel <laughs> would require you to fax them a piece of paper that's right that they would then fax back the receipt to you that was like the only purpose I could ever remember using a fax machine for exactly thank god that's changed okay so it's not it's national fax day so good for us um wanted I haven't talked to you since the uh, the bucks were I know this is uh, shocking uh, officially eliminated from playoff contention um so this is you know We'll see if they finish last in the NFC South. But 11 years now, Tom, and if the Cleveland Browns make the playoffs, which is a possibility um, as we sit here and talk today, the Bucks then would have the longest streak without the playoffs, which, of course, would be 11 years at that point. Still a long time whether they have it or not. So I guess just to get your, your thoughts on, on uh, if you were doing an obituary about this season or about what we're facing ahead of us, what, what would you say – um, what would be your synopsis about sort of how this this went sideways? Well, a couple of things first struck me. One was that I wrote this before the season, I think it was, and I just made an offhanded reference. I said, what if the Bucks are like this this generation or this era's Cleveland Browns? And I got killed for it. People were like, we're not the Cleveland Browns. We're not the Buffalo Bills. And now you start to look at it like, actually, you are. You know, that's that's the thing that the Bucks have become. They've become the modern-day San Diego Clippers or whatever. They're the worst franchise in football, not in terms of they don't have the worst record, but we're talking now 11 years without making a playoffs, which is a, a really bad stretch. And this year, Rick, you and I keep going over and over and over again, and I'm not going to pin the whole thing on this because I think they got a lot of issues. They had particularly on defense, and the offensive line's not as good as I thought it was going to be. But I, how can you not look back at the Jameis Winston suspension and then all of a sudden flip-flopping quarterbacks – it, it sort of screwed up the whole season, if you ask me. I, I think if you want to write a you know write an obit on this season, I think you start with just how everything got, got messed up because of the Jameis Winston suspension. Yeah, and I thought that we would view this whole season sort of through that lens, and, and I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think there is a – I mean, look, the Mike Smith situation is bigger probably than we realized. You know, the fact that we saw what happened to the defense once Mark Duffner got in there and – frankly, had fewer players to play with than, than Smith did. So we can't dismiss that keeping him signing to a long-term deal, even even perhaps Dirk's hesitation to not fire him after the bye week or, or going into the bye week as opposed to coming out of the bye week and playing right. one more game. I mean, after Chicago, you and I were there. Most defensive coordinators don't live to coach another day after that game. Um, you know, Mike Smith did, and they lost. Uh, so so that's not not to quibble with how important that was, but – yeah, I'm kind of I I think that there was, you know, this creation of uh, of Fitz magic in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still go back to us sitting there looking at each other with him in the Sean Jackson's clothing. 
Um, <laughs> and that being the highlight of the season, and me and you saying they're you know wow they're two and zero, oh, you know Jameis is going to do pretty well when he gets back. This could really be they could really be something, you know. Um, but it was such a production, and and people were wearing beards, and and I think on a human level that had to have affected Jameis a little bit, who's sitting at home not able to communicate with teammates, watching this on TV and thinking, oh boy, you know. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to top this. You right. know what I mean? So. And that's what I, I look back at, at this season. When you start to think about it, they're, they're five and they're five and nine now, right? That's their record. They won two of those games with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, and I saw a stat the other day when I read your, you had a really good story the other day about how, remember how we looked at that Dallas game a couple of years ago where they got flexed to Sunday night and it was, it was a big game of the season. And for the Bucks, and that was sort of the last great moment. And they haven't won a road game with Jameis as their quarterback since then. That's unbelievable. I'm not pinning it all on Jameis Winston, but right. it's it's been a um, it's just been a uh, it's been a long road. And I don't I don't know where it goes from now. Rick, a couple of weeks ago, I was convinced that Light Cutter and Winston all had a pretty good chance of coming back. I'm yeah. not sure about all three of them at this point. I think Jameis has the best chance of the three, but. Mm. Everything's on the table now, right? Everything's on the table when you're when you're five and nine and on your way to to probably six and ten. I'm guessing something like that, or, or maybe five and eleven again. If you were to push it forward just a bit, obviously the Glazers are the ones that are ultimately responsible for everything because they're the owners of the franchise. Um, what have they done wrong, other than hire maybe not the right people or not stick with them long enough? I mean, in this case, they stuck with you know, Dirk Cutter three years, which most coaches haven't gotten under since the boys took over anyway. So. You know, what What? What do you do to change sort of this repetitive nature of change the coach, change the quarterback? Yeah, I don't know because I looked at it and I said, if you told me at the time, Jason Light, Jason Light seemed like a good hire when they hired him. He was ready to be a GM when they hired him. He came from good organizations. He had a – he worked his way up. Um, Dirk Cutter seemed like it was his turn to be a head coach. So I, I can't really disagree with any of this. And those guys were making the decisions from there. It was Jason Light picking the players at that point. It was Dirk Cutter who was uh, deciding what the offense they didn't put. And I, I, the Glazers did everything they could. Now they're busy <laughs> getting rid of a coach over in England right now at yeah, Manchester United, you know. So now they'll turn attention to the Bucks here in a couple of weeks. Um I don't. I don't know what else they could have done, Rick. Clearly, they don't didn't make the right decisions, and this team is still has a lot of issues. Uh, like I said, the offensive line hasn't been as good as I thought it would be. The defensive line has had its struggles. Defensive overall has has been a problem, and then again, you go back to the quarterback. It, I don't know where they go from here. I don't know if Jameis is the guy. Uh, I I suspect, and Rick, you're more plugged into this than I am. If you if you sort of made me put my house up for sale one way or the other, I would say, uh, you know, I think Jameis comes back, but I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know where they go from here um, other than to, to try it all over again with somebody else as, as GM, as coach, and maybe as quarterback. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We'll know, we'll know shortly. I mean, they got two games left uh, at Dallas this weekend and then you know, final game home against Atlanta. And, a chance again that they, you know, they may only if they win one out of two, they're only one game better than they were a year ago. And you know, for the the people that I talked to at One Buck Place, um, you know, there's a lot of good coaches over there, and they're disappointed that for whatever reason it hasn't worked. And they think Dirk has done a really good job, but they also know it's a bottom line business, right? And you know, when you're not showing improvement record wise, um, it's kind of hard to convince convince people to keep you well, on. Well, and you look around too, Rick. You look at uh, the teams that 
the Bears are a perfect example of a team that, boy, a couple of years ago, they were going nowhere. They were flipping coaches every couple of years. And what they had, what that Mark Tressman, that looked like the, it was a complete disaster. And next thing you know, they might, they might get a bye in the first round of the playoffs here in a couple weeks in a pretty good division. So you look at a team like that, you, San Diego has been an up-and-down franchise the last couple of years. It's, it's one of those – and look, with Chicago, too, you look back, they didn't have a quarterback three years ago. I'm not sure they have a great quarterback now, to be honest with you. But right. when you look around the league and you just see how quickly things can turn, I think if you're the Glazers, you look at that and say, why can't that be the Tampa Bay Bucks? Why can't we be the next Chicago Bears? Why can't we be the next – L.A. Rams, a team that just finds the right combination of coach, quarterback, GM, get a couple of defensive players, and bam, all of a sudden you're, you're looking at a playoff game. Yeah, that's the hope. And, I mean, there was I think there's three or four coaches whose teams have better records this year when you're talking about, you know, the Bears and the Colts and, and some of those teams. And then, then there's some like the Raiders and others that, that uh, actually did worse. So you just – you never know whether it's going to go – because there will be change. That's the thing. When you change coaches, the roster turns over and that's just the way that goes. Um, one team that is playing very, very well, and I continue to marvel at these guys. I don't know if you had a chance to watch any of that Vancouver game. That turned into I a did. brawl. I did. That escalated yeah. quickly, man. <laughs> that got guys, out of hand. Yeah, the guy, you had the Triton. Where'd you get that thing, man? You better lay low for a while. <laughs> you killed um, the guy. I know. Uh, so it, uh, but, but the Bolts seem to be able to handle pretty much anything that's thrown at them. And now they got Andre Vasilevsky back, who – I don't know if you watched him play. I mean, it was ridiculous, his his debut when he had that many saves. Yeah, I was um, at that game, the Toronto game, yeah. That was stupid. I mean, he played so good. But uh, what do you what do you make of this Bolts team? It just seems to me like they're this sort of locomotive that really can't be stopped, that they're going to churn their way, winning most nights. If they don't, they get a point like they did the other night. I mean – Who's I mean, who's gonna stop these guys? And is is because of the success they're having, does this feel sort of like it's Stanley Cup or bust for somebody? I believe it is Stanley Cup or bust for this team. The, they're clearly the best team in the National Hockey League. And I think what sets them apart from other lightning teams I've seen where they they don't need one guy to carry them. You know, you look at Braden Point, Braden Point's I think maybe pound for pound their best player. Yeah. He really hasn't done much the last week or so, or nope. at least he hasn't, you know, he hasn't dominated games. Uh, now they're, you know, now Kucherov and Stamkos are, are sort of yep. taken over, but then you get goals from like a Sorelli or a Cedric Paquette. Mm-hmm. Um, guys come in and out of the lineup. It doesn't matter. They're resting their defense. Uh, a guy like Chernak comes up and gives uh, Braden Coburn a day off. Um, these things help come playoff time. They're really deep. They have scoring from everywhere. Ryan Callahan missed a game. Let, think about this. They play Vancouver the other night. Ryan Callahan, clearly one of their grittier players. They play one of their most gritty games of the season, and, and you don't even notice that Ryan Callahan's Wasn't not there. there. Yeah. So that's the thing that surprised me about this team. The other thing that, that surprises me, and I didn't see it coming, is Steven Stamkos. He is, he is a much I, – I feel weird saying this. He's, he's turned out to be a better player this season than I thought he would be. I thought last year was the beginning of the end for Stamkos. Not, not like – He's going to fall off the map, and he's not going to be a, a factor at all. I thought he was starting to turn into sort of a power play specialist, that most of his goals were going to come on the power play, that he wasn't going to be much of a factor on five-on-five. Five. That clearly is not the case. He is well on his way to it. And I thought his 30-goal seasons were done. He's well on his way to 30 goals this season, and he's creating plays. I'm starting to wonder – if how healthy he was last year. You know, we talk about guys coming back from injury and 
maybe taken a year to come back from Tommy John or more than a year, an 18 month. I'm starting to wonder if, if Steven Stamkos is now truly healthy for the first time in a really long time. And we're starting to notice it now. He's, he's really turned back into a, a really an elite goal scorer again. So you throw all those things in there defensively. They're really good. Um, I, but I thought, I thought the, the game against Vancouver was very impressive for this team because Vancouver tried to turn it into a street fight. Yeah, they and did. And the Lightning said, okay. And, that, and the big knock on the Lightning that I've always had against them, too, is like, well, are they tough enough? Can they, can they handle these games where teams get a little nasty with them? And they, they handled it just fine. They stuck up for one another. Yeah. And, uh, and, and ended up it was, a, it was a, nice, a nice solid victory on the road against the uh, – not a good team, but a team that w- wanted to sort of mix it up a little bit. Yeah, that's what John Cooper said after the game. He he doesn't advocate that sort of thing. He says, but you know, when you see your guys sticking up for one another, that's that's always good. The thing about Stamkos that you I constantly forget, and I'm amazed when I look at this number. He's 28 years old. I know, Tom. I know. I mean, he's 28 years old, and it feels like he has played 15 years. And so <laughs> there's a there's a well, there's a theory in the NHL that don't look at a guy's age as much as look at the years played. That yeah, yeah. If a guy and ten years is usually a mark. You you notice a change in a guy's play for most players. You certainly yeah. have ex, you have exceptions. The Yarmir Yagers and the Wayne Gretzky's and the Mario Muse when they're healthy. That that after ten years you start to to notice a real difference in their play. They start to slip. And if they come in at eighteen, that number's at twenty eight. If they come in at age twenty two, that they do that until they're thirty two. Yeah. Well this is I think Stamkos is eleventh season, I wanna say. So mm-hmm. I thought this would be the year, Rick, that he would that we'd really start to notice. You know, I think last year he had twelve even strength goals in eighty some games. That's that's not good. Um yeah. for an elite goal score it's not good. Um and and yet he's like I said, he has completely turned it around to the point where I think he's he's back to being an elite goal scorer again. But I don't think you should minimize what he does on the power play. And if that's oh, no. how he gets most of his goals, big deal. Let me float this one out to you because this is just more of a sports thing than anything. And I don't know because I don't know. I'm not around Steven Stamkos. I'm sure he was been, he's been driven to to put his name on a cup forever. Mm-hmm. When he watched what Alexander Ovechkin did a year ago, you know Ovechkin, who's been a great player forever, put a team on it. I know they're totally different styles, totally right, right, different right. physical makeups and all that. But just just watching a captain like that. Um, sort of elevate, sort of be driven to the point of, no, we're not not this year. We're taking this. We're going to do this. Follow me. Get on my back. I wonder how much of, of that is in his mind that, you know, you do hear the clock ticking a little louder if you're Stamkos. You do know what's around you because you've played a number of years with this franchise when you certainly had lesser talent. And you think to yourself, just like everybody else is saying, man, this has to be it. This has to be our year. We were, we were, you know, game six, we needed to win one game and didn't make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. That can't happen again. And if, if there's something about, you know, and, and I think health is the biggest part of that because you, you talked about, you know, every year you're removed from surgery and things that he had to go through, certainly you're going to get better physically. But you think there's a part of him that just realizes I'm running out of the sand's running out of the hourglass here. I think that's an ac- excellent point, Rick. I think if you're Steven Stamkos, this is your legacy on the line. You're a number one overall draft pick. You look at guys who were over number one overall draft picks in their careers. You know the the Vinny Lecaviers and the yeah. uh, Mario Lemieux and uh, those guys. They're 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 brought into bad teams to win Stanley Cups, and eventually they do win Stanley Cups. Yeah. And, and that's and unfortunately that's how we judge players really. If if you know, hey, Mary Lemieux won a cup. Oh, Eric Lindros didn't win a cup. That's Those right. Are, 
You know, and we remember same in football, same in football, sure. Quarterbacks, yeah, exactly. And Stamkos, a couple of things about him: he's had the chance, he's had the team around him clearly. Yes. And the other thing is, he has not played well in big games, Rick. He's not done well mm-hmm. in game sevens, for example. Yeah. I think he has no points. He's never had a point in yeah. a game seven. He hasn't played a couple of them either. He's played a handful at least. Right. Um, and so I think people are looking at Steven Stamkos saying, okay, just just the way they did. The, I think there's a lot of comparisons between Lightning and Capitals. The Capitals were a team that for years right. everybody said, it's about time they win a cup, and they haven't, and they didn't. And then they fight until they did. <laughs> so I think now it's the Lightning's turn. It's the Lightning's next up in terms of, okay, it's their turn to win a Stanley Cup. And I think Steven Samkos, look, he's always been an incredibly hard worker. He, he has this um, off-season workout routine. He goes up to Toronto. It's like this amazing uh, uh, routine that he puts his body through to get ready for the next season. And uh, But now it's his time. You're right, Rick. I, I think he realizes that if he go. If he does not win a Stanley Cup, his career will not be, at the end of the day, that considered that successful. You have here's to win the, a Cup. Here's the other thing he got to watch, Tom, that I think plays into this. And, again, I'm making way too much of this. I'm sure he doesn't go home thinking, oh, my gosh. you know. But, oh, you know, know, there have been some ceremonies at Emily Arena, retirement oh, of Benny LeCavier's number, retirement of Marty St. Louis' number, the Hall of Fame celebration for Marty St. Louis. And what does he see? He sees the 2004 Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup over and over and over again. And that's how those guys got their their jerseys in the Raptors. And that's why they're going to the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Especially Marty St. Louis. If you look at Marty St. Louis' numbers, Rick, and I love, look, I love covering Marty St. Louis. Sure. And, and had a more than anyone. <laughs> exactly. I, re- I wrote more like farewell to Marty so. stories and forgive <laughs> Marty stories than anybody in the history of the world. That's true. Um, but he. Uh, he does. I'm not sure he's a a Hall of Famer. If you ju- just look just at his numbers, just on just production, break yeah. his numbers. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a a, Stan- a Hall of Famer. But he had big moments in big games. None more than Game Six of the Stanley yeah. Cup Finals in 2004. And at that point, I think people looked at, and that's what they remember. They remember the great moments. And you're right, Rick. I've been to all those ceremonies that you're talking about. And yeah. they all end with a guy picking a Stanley Cup over his head. And Stephen Samkos is usually the first guy there to present whatever the team has given him. And and yeah, he, he look and he's a hockey historian. He knows that his legacy depends on winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I have a good chance at it this year. I mean, I think you know, barring injury, this team has uh, certainly got got the talent to do it. So we'll see. We'll see how far they go. It's been, they're, they're either gonna they're either gonna win it, Rick, or they're. I hate to say this, and I'll just go ahead and do it to be Debbie Downer because that's that's me. But every team, it seems that that is really great, like the, the Capitals and back in the day, Steve Eisenman's Red Wings. Uh, every now and then, you have one of those years where you look like you're the dominant team, and all of a sudden you get in the playoffs and, and you lose in the first round, and then you come back and eventually win a cup. But I also wonder if they're due for one of those, like, how did that happen? How'd they lose that series? You know, a goalie mm. on another team, like a Columbus, just comes out of nowhere and knocks you out. You know, um, I, I'd hate to say So it, be I, careful of being dominant <laughs> because then you could lose early. <laughs> no, go ahead and keep <laughs> killing people. <laughs> it's, I'll tell you what, though, this team has been fun to watch. It's been oh, really yeah. They're real. They're fun. They're the best team in hockey. Clearly, the expectation. But. I, you know, they, they talk about expectation in sports, and you expect to win. You know, you first. I sound like mad. You know, first you you, you learn to win, and then then you expect. Hey, 
expect to win. But I think that's where the Lightning are. I think that I think when you when you watch the Lightning, again, I sound like Madden, but when you watch them, you think they're going to win, and then they do win, and then you want to watch them again because they win. But that's that's sort of how it is. It's rare. Like you're shocked almost that wait, wait a minute, they lost. I know. That I know. You know. That game went to overtime the other night on the yeah. first game of the trip, and I'm like, and at the end, I'm like, oh, they'll win this game, even against a really good Winnipeg team, right? And uh, and then you end up like, oh, they lost again, and then you feel disappointed. Like oh, I geez. know, like wait a <laughs> they, they've won eight in a row. They get a point on the road against a really on the good road, team. Yeah. It's like, oh, what's wrong wham, with Lightning wham, wham. all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. So that's the way we are. Let's wrap it up on this. Uh, the Rays uh, formally submitted their letter ending their search in Hillsborough County. That was. Expected, of course, uh, the financing uh, did not really materialize there, and they had this deadline approaching, and they weren't going to get it together uh, in a couple of weeks. So not a surprise in terms of the formality of that. However, I'm fascinated by you know where we began the conversation of it's not going to work in St. Petersburg. It's not going to work in St. Petersburg. We need to get the Hillsborough County. We need to move closer to the population center, wouldn't Ybor City, all in on this new stadium idea, you know, the translucent roof, all the – this is the space. And now that, that they couldn't get that done, now I'm thinking, I'm sensing to myself, eh, man, you know what, maybe that waterfront park down there by Lang might actually be the best place after all. So which do you think it is, Tom? Do you think that any stadium that suits their needs financially is, in terms of its construction, is it more about the... St- hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Stadium or more about the location? I think it's more about who's going to pay for it. And that's I think what that's I what think. it also ultimately comes down to. And if somebody comes up with the money, I think St. Petersburg, the thing that's sort of not lost in all this, because certainly the, the, the paper you work for <laughs> has yeah. covered this angle, but they're, the city of St. Pete's ready to figure out, okay, what are we doing with that TROP location? Because they mm-hmm. know that the Rays are not going to be there beyond 2027 in the current TROP as we know it. And that's so a lot it? of land in a downtown a that is of, booming. Ooh, you're not kidding. So what's going to be there? Is a stadium going to be there? Is a you know pro bass shop going to be there? Like what's what's yeah. going to be? In, is it going to be all retail at some point? Are you going to put condo more condos up there? Yeah, or a combination. The city, yeah, yeah. The city, and I'll tell you what, Rick. It's it's grown so much that it used to be that that downtown was basically a a couple of blocks in around you know central like like um, west of. Like Four Street, basically. That was it. Yeah, bars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Janice Landing and all that. Yeah, and then it's Ten now Beach started. Drive, yeah, yeah, right, right. And now it, it's gone, Rick. You know, it used to be the area up near the interstate. Like, yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. You better not. I wouldn't park my car there late nope. at night. You know. No. And not now by it's effort. gotten to the point from all the way from the water up to past the interstate. It's going to move up to pet to like 34th street where in people yeah. who are familiar with St. Pete know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That all that has become a really prime area for, for restaurants, for craft breweries, for condos. Like I can't believe how many condos and who's yeah. paying these people, but I don't know where they work. They, they, all these really nice condominiums are going up and apartment complexes. 
And and the Trop area is going to be a big part of that. And the city of St. Pete wants to know, okay, where's this going to be in 10 years? And so I they theirs, I think, is eager to find out where the Rays are going, as the Rays are where they're going. I read some comments. I think it was Charlie Gertis, who I know a little bit, um, talked about, uh, hey, I just want the team to stay somewhere with where they can put a hat on it says TB. And I don't care whether it's, you know, right. obviously he, he has – uh, more interest in, in St. Pete than Tampa. But uh, they don't want to hold on to the idea that they're going to play in St. Pete right up to the moment the team leaves for Nashville or Montreal or whatever. So yeah, exactly. I, I think, Rick, what's going to come down to is whoever comes up with a with a financial plan. I think we all got way too excited with the Ebor thing. I yeah. mean, it's great. And we, they came out. I was I was a little surprised, Rick, when all of a sudden they come out with, here's a design, here's yeah. what it's going to look like, and here's the you know, and I'm like, man, who's got the checkbook? Because I mm-hmm. think that's what the that's what the big story is here. You always said, show me the check and put a shovel on the ground. Put a and shovel on the ground, it. man, and then I'll start. Playing. I still, I look selfishly. I hope it's in downtown St. Pete because it's ten <laughs> minutes from where I live. <laughs> but I, I'll be glad to drive the e-board more than, like I said, get on a plane to go to Montreal and watch it. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of baseball, real quick. So I just let me bring this up. I know uh, you got to sure. go here, but nope. Um, I got all the time in the world. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, no, I do now. Penny, yeah, right. so Penny. Penny Marshall passed away. You That's know, right. From Laverne and Shirley. And mm. uh, I started thinking about it yesterday, and, and of course she's the director of a league of their own. And I started yeah. thinking, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of movies, and I'm a big fan of baseball. Yeah. And baseball is they're really good baseball movies out there. Bull Durham. They sure are. Bull Durham's a, gr- a great movie. Um, mm-hmm. um, the uh, The Natural, obviously, Eight Men Out. Sandlot, I think Sandlot's a great yeah. baseball movie. Don't forget um, Bingo Long and the Traveling All Stars. Bingo Long and the Traveling All Stars, <laughs> the Pride of the Yankees, Pride of the Yankees, Field of Dreams, Field yeah. of Dreams, Field of Dreams, tremendous. And yeah. then uh, like major, some people put Major League or whatever in there. Of course, I, I, I will, t- I will, and I love Bull Durham. I think Bull Durham to me, I've always considered Bull Durham to be the best baseball movie. But the more I watch, The League of Their Own is one of those movies that every time it's on, I stop and I watch it till the end, and. I would put it. I would put a league of their own up there as good a baseball movie as there's ever been. I don't know. If there's a better one than league. Of really? Their own. Yeah, I really do believe that. There's no crying in baseball. That's one a, of the best lines in movie history. Line. Yeah, it's it one really of the great was. Lines of all time. I, you know, I went back and saw because Penny Marshall died. I went. They were showing a lot of clips from that movie and and uh, talking to people. I went back and kind of looked at some of it. I haven't watched the whole movie in years. You know what was impressive to me? Those actresses actually did a better job of throwing balls and and simulating swings and hitting than a lot of the men do in some of those games. I you know what you all I was what, shocked almost, by that. What almost ruined two movies almost ruined I know what me. you're going to say and you ruined it by telling me this because <laughs> Sorry, now man. I can't see the end of that movie anymore. Field the of end dreams. Of field of dreams. Hey yes. dad. Hey dad, what I have a catch. catch. And a guy can't throw and catch, man. Well, like, he really <laughs> if you think his throwing's bad and it is. It's the catching's catching. worse because he jumps at the ball. Like, you it's know, you're awful. he's a catcher for God's sakes. You're, yeah, this is supposed to be like the greatest catcher since Yogi Berra and all and the guy can't catch right. And but that scene else, that scene brings a tear to my eye because that guy when he walks out looks like a young Pete Stroud when he ca- uh, caught for the Saints him, in the fifties. I get all weepy <laughs> until I see him try to catch a ball. So you try, your dad could catch a ball, man. Yes, he could. It, right? Good defensive player, yeah. Exactly. And then the other one is that almost got ruined. Tim Robbins throwing motion in Bull Durham. It's is not almost, good. It's, it's not, not good. That's a guy that looks like an actor who learned and, how to throw. 
before yeah, the movie started. Yesterday. Right? And that's the problem is that he his main thing, you know, he was this guy with this great arm and, you know, you know, that whole thing. But it, it, he did not. And, and Charlie Sheen, by the way, was was a little better. Yeah. But I don't know if it was perfect. You know what I mean? Um, John but, Cusack didn't. He had a little bit of like a guy that played he that he played up until at 12, age 12. Yeah. And then yeah. he stopped playing. I mean, clearly, Kevin Costner has a great swing, great throw. Sure, sure. Robert was, Redford actually had a really good swing and throw. I mean, he he did. He looked well, like the natural. And another guy, uh, Tom Selleck, if you remember the movie he did when uh, he plays in Japan. I forget the right. name of the movie. Um, but Tom Selleck used to take batting practice with the Tigers. Right. You know, so he could he could throw and hit. Um, I think for me... Like and I, I love. I mean, I'll watch all those movies. Bull Durham to me is the most realistic one in terms of the, I, in I terms of so like too, yeah. the minor leagues and you know the whole. Um, it's just really well done. There's very little right. I don't like about Bull Durham, except maybe Tim Robbins trying to throw. Um, but I think, but he's so think, good. It's a, so good at being nuke all the rest of the time. You sort of overlook it. At that he point. is, but I think the Hollywood like the natural for a story and for a Hollywood moment and just Redford being Redford. Yeah, I think is really good. I mean, it is. when he hits the ball off the lights and, the, and it looks like, you know, fireworks going off and stuff. I mean, come on. That's a yeah, Hollywood and the moment, and the music, man. The music. Yeah, no. you know, that whole, I mean, it's, it's just, it's phenomenal. You know, it's but such I, a I great But I started moment. thinking about, like, which movies I stop to watch until they're over. You know, and I, we all have those movies. Goodfellas comes on. I'm stopping. I'm a few watching. Good Men. I did a podcast a good, with T.J. Yeah. Reeves the other day about it. A few good men, absolutely. Um, All the president's men. I'll stop no matter where it is in the movie. And I've noticed it, and that's why I said A League of Their Own is as good as any baseball movie ever. I wouldn't have said that two days ago until I really started thinking about Penny Marshall passing away. But when when I saw that she had passed away, I started thinking about A League of Their Own and just how often I stop on that movie. And again, like you're right, like Gina Davis – Looks like a baseball player. She looks like she can, yeah, she can swing it and throw it, and it's just she does a better job. It's before, and I don't, I don't know the the exact. I don't know if it was before Hank. Like Hanks was, we knew Tom Hanks, but he hadn't like blown up his greatest actor of all time yet. You know, he wasn't. I think I want to say I'm not sure if that was pre or post, um, uh, Forrest Gump and uh, Philadelphia. I I think it was before that. And so he wasn't. He wasn't, you know, again, he wasn't Hanks yet, you know, but he was, he was, he was a great, great actor at that point. Uh, you know, yet Rosie O'Donnell was really good at Madonna, who's mm-hmm. no, not known for her acting as much as her singing, obviously. Right. So I don't know. I just thought, I look back at that movie and I just thought it was, the story was good. It was, Lori Petty was great as the, as the little sister. Well, the good news is you don't have to watch a movie tonight because you've got college football. That's right. The bowl season is upon us and USF is hosting Marshall at Raymond James Stadium, you can watch that game on ESPN. Joey Knight has covered the uh, USF Bulls since 2013, and he joins us now. Joey, of course, National Signing Day was Wednesday, and I think at last count that I saw, you had 15 recruits uh, that had gotten their paperwork in uh, to USF. So just in general, how did they do? Is, is Charlie Strong's talents uh, in this area beginning to show up a little bit? Well, actually, they ended up at the end of the day with 19. They had some stragglers here late in the day. And, you know, it's fun to look at instant recruiting rankings and, you know, see the the analysis of people, you know, how did this class do? You know, how how would you rank this class? We we all know that, you know, we really won't know for sure just how good this class is until two or three years down the road. But you know, right. it sounds cliche. It, it, it's about filling needs, and I really do think Charlie filled some 
some needs that, that he had to fill. Uh, he, he made no secret about it. I remember him talking to Martin Fenley and I um, at a Gasparilla Bowl function on Harbor Island. It was just us three, and he said, we, we need some pass rushers, we need some linebackers, and we need some cornerbacks. And if I'm not mistaken, they got three of each today. Um, all of them are three stars for whatever that's worth across the board. But, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, got a, they, they got a Juco edge rusher. Um, you know, a guy looks like, you know, he could come in and they could plug him in and he could play right away. Um, they're, they're desperate. They're, they're just so woefully thin at linebacker and they signed three guys there. So that, that could potentially fill some immediate needs. And, you know, they, they're going to be losing some cornerbacks. Cor- Mazzy Wilkins, the kid from Plant High School, played his last game, uh, you know, in the Gasparilla Bowl. Um, they've been dinged up a little bit there, too. And so they they signed three cornerbacks. So, I, you know, I, I really think two or three of these guys, because they are Juco guys, they could come in and, and address a need right away. And, of course, you know, you got this new redshirt rule where the NCAA allows freshmen to play up to four games without burning their redshirt. So we could see mm-hmm. – a bunch of these guys, you know, at least getting a good look in 2019. So, yeah, I, I really do think Charlie, um, you know, who's been recruiting in Florida forever, you know, really addressed some needs today. And that's really what it's all about. And that's what, all he was concerned with. Yeah. And defense, of course, uh, was an issue at times uh, last year. And, and one guy, when I was just looking through the, you, you did a list of some guys that could play right away. This cornerback, Jaden Curry, uh, who is from IMG, looks like he can contribute pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, they had guys like that. You know, Jaden Curry's been at IMG from what I understand the last two years, and that's not too terribly shabby of competition down there. So, you know, like I said, the, the, um, they got a, a defensive end named Jason Vaughn. He's a mm-hmm. freshman. He's originally from Miami, but he played at a prep school in Auburndale uh, last year. He's 6'5", 225. So, you know, you think of that physical upside and once he gets on campus and, you know, you could add 10 or 15 pounds, like nobody's sure. business. So got him, uh, Tyreek Jones, defensive end, originally from plantation. He's been at a Juco in, in Arizona, you know, 6'2", mm-hmm. 235. So, you know, Charlie knew he had some immediate needs and, you know, he went out and got some guys that looks like, you know, as you mentioned, they could come in and they could plug them in right away you know there's some other guys that are going to have to develop obviously but um you know on, on the flip side there there are some guys that really could you know make an impact in 2019 absolutely well the gasparilla bowl uh the bulls will play tonight uh it'll be usf against marshall and let's start with the weather because there's some big storms ripping through this afternoon um what are they going to do with the field at raymond james and do they expect some of this weather to pass by the time they kick it off Yes, they do expect a lot of it to pass by. They put a tarp on on the field uh, Thursday around 5, and for, it was my understanding that tarp was going to stay on for roughly 24 hours, and all the forecasts that I've heard is the bad stuff is going to blow over by that 8 o'clock kickoff. We may have some wind, may have some lingering rain, but certainly no thunderstorms or monsoon-type stuff that could actually cause a delay of the game. So, you know, at worst, the guys could be playing in little – in a little heavy wind and, you know, how that may affect the game, who knows. But, yeah, the, the bad stuff should blow over, fortunately, because, you know, this is a game, and USF sold out its bowl allotment, Rick, the 6,400. They were allotted, and they, they sold those out. They had, you know, when I checked Tuesday, they had fewer than 100 student tickets left. You know, you talk about a, a program 
you know, playing a bowl game in its home stadium, you know, mm. to, to go out there and play, you know, in a, in, before a sparse crowd would really be a bad look for that university. So, you know, I'm sure the USF people are hopeful. They're, you know, they're happy as can be that they've sold out their bowl allotment, that students are coming to the game. You know, you, you would just hope that they would draw a good walk-up crowd and the weather wouldn't keep people away because, you know, bowl scouts from all over, all over the country are going to be watching this game and just seeing, you know, quite candidly looking at what the crowd's like, you know, and seeing if USF can draw a good crowd to a, to a bowl game in its home stadium, which could affect, you know, what kind of imitations they get in the future. So they need a good turnout. I mean, they, they've needed a good turnout at, at home for years now, but this one, this one is especially critical because it's the only bowl game on tonight, you know, and for lack of a better term, the world's going to be watching. It's on ESPN and, and you're right, it'll get a lot of attention uh, for, for that reason. So hopefully the weather does pass and people get out there. One of the, the sort of the storylines, I mean, for this game at least, is that uh, Justin Burke, their tight ends coach, is going to be calling plays for the Bulls tonight. He has an interesting history, well-traveled um, as a player and, and, and coach and whatnot. So what uh, what can we expect from him? Will there be some tweaks? And, and could he be the coordinator for Charlie moving forward? I think this will be a little bit of an audition for him, Rick. You know, it really just depends on how much latitude Charlie gives him. You know, we asked mm-hmm. him, you know, are, are there going to be some, some offensive tweaks? And that's something that Bulls fans have been clamoring for. They've seen an offense that had grown terribly stale, especially the second half of the season. And he said, yeah, this is a bowl game. We would, we would tweak things no matter what. But it sure. really just depends on how much latitude Charlie gives him. Charlie Strong, you know, is a run-first guy. He wants to establish the run and assert his offense in terms, you know, just of, of establishing power. Um, but if he, uh, if he and Justin's going to be up in the, up in the box calling the game, that's where he's been all year. And if Charlie gives him a little latitude, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what they do, what kind of variations they do with the run and the past game. One thing about Justin Burke, he has learned from a number of people. He was, uh, he started his um, college playing career. He was a quarterback. He started at mm-hmm. NC state and then uh, transferred to Louisville. This is, you know, we're talking around 2006 to 2010. And, you know, he reeled off all the coaches and coordinators he played for during that time. And he, you know, got guys like Jeff Braum and Dana Bible and uh, Mike Grow, who's, you know, obviously the Eagles play caller now. And, you know, just the, the list went on and on and on. So, you know, he, he said, you know, if you were smart, you were a sponge and you just absorbed a little bit from all the guys. So you've got the, you got that convergence of influences for Justin Burke, and he's a young guy. He's 31, and I'm sure he does look at this as an audition. So, you know, if, if like I say, if Charlie gives him a little bit of free reign, I think we could see some tweaks and some a little trickeration and some things that Bulls fans haven't seen in quite some time. Um, you know, but but the bottom line is, you know, they're they're not going to outfancy themselves. They they they're playing a really good defensive team. Marshall mm-hmm. has not allowed a hundred yard rusher all year. Um, they are ranked in the top ten and you know in rushing defense in terms of yards per play allowed on the ground. They're kind of a veteran group, so you know he can't he can't afford to go too crazy or too exotic. You know you gotta you gotta do the things and play to your strengths. But by the same time, by the same token, I do think you know. He's going to try to tweak and just, you know, give Marshall some things they haven't seen on tape yet uh, this year. And that's what those uh, extra days of practice are. And, of course, you kind of do that 
with a lot of bowl games, so that'll be interesting to watch. Also, any chance that uh, we see Blake Barnett? I know he's pretty beat up. He is pretty beat up, Rick. He really got dinged up in that Temple game. If you if you saw the way he went down, you know, it, it was almost kind of, you know, obviously not this extreme, but, you know, we, we've seen some quarterbacks at the college and pro level this year just really the way they've been brought down and tackled and landed on, it was gruesome. It wasn't yeah. quite that bad. But he got tackled a couple times really bad at Temple, messed up his ankle, and from what I've heard, did a little damage to his calf. Now, I do know he's been trying like heck to, to get himself back in shape to play in this game. He has no interest in sitting out. He'll be back next year. He's got another year of eligibility. So Charlie Strong may be measuring, you know, what, what's the wisdom of playing this guy in a bowl game and risking him, you know, getting hurt again and being out a little longer term and possibly missing spring practice. So it's really, it's, you know, I'm just not sure if he's going to play or not. If I were a wagering person, I would probably say no, because he he really got messed up pretty good in that temple game. But that's been, you know, that's been more than a month ago and he wants to play. And I don't know how much he's going to lobby Charlie strong, but you know, I just, I, I, I just see Charlie erring on the side of caution and saying, no, we, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to risk further damage. We'll, we'll let some of these other young guys play. So I could be wrong. I could be surprised, but um, yeah, I just, uh, I just don't see Blake, um, you know, in the best case scenario, maybe going out there and testing it, you know, and warm ups and seeing how it goes. But, you know, yeah. again, if I were a wagering guy, I, I, I'm not sure he would play tonight. It'll be a big piece for them next year in his second year if he comes back uh, as their starting quarterback. So with Marshall now, of course, uh, you've talked about their defense, and, and, and this is a pretty good bowl matchup, first of all, for USF. Um, one of the things that everybody, when you hear about Marshall, and, and it goes back, what, 40, 50 years now, of course, um, we've all seen uh, the movie with Matthew McConaughey, We Are Marshall. Uh, the plane crash, of course, I think that was, what, the 1970 um, 1970, team? November 14th, yeah. 1970. <clears throat> Yeah, the the team and, and many administrators and fans uh, perished in, in a plane crash. And, um, you know, what's interesting, I've had several players, you know, come through the Bucks that, that played from Marshall, John Wade, and some others, uh, Vinnie Curry now. Um, but I really haven't talked to them much about it. I know you did some research in a story. Just just how much is that observed? How much is that a part, a conscious part of uh, of their football program these days? Oh, it's still hallowed. It's still revered. Um I was talking to Sean Cronin, who's the uh, defensive defensive line coach for USF now, and he spent three separate stints at Marshall, brief stints, one as a graduate assistant, a couple as a, as a bona fide assistant. And he said, you, you know, to the outside world, it may be ancient history, but to those people of Huntington, West Virginia, it, it's like it happened last year. You know, wow. they have they still have their their annual ceremonies. They have a fountain right in the center of campus and the mm-hmm. fountain is sculpted in a way to where it has uh, 75 points pointed skyward. I believe the number is 75, the people that were lost in the yep. crash. And, you know, they they just go through a series of, of, of traditions every year. They, they turn off the fountain on November 14th, 1970, when they have that ceremony. And then mm-hmm. Doc Holliday, the new coach. Um, in the spring, when they start spring practice, they turn the fountain back on, which kind of represents like a rebirth and a renewal. You know, uh, Coach Holiday has its, has its players in summer. You know, when the freshmen first arrive, they'll take a, 
a roughly mile long jog uphill to a um, memorial where um, there's a cemetery where some of the, those who, who were lost are buried and where there's another shrine, uh, a memorial. So, yeah, that, that's still a, a very, very significant thing, you know, almost a, a half century later. And, you know, I, I just the other day there was a Gasparilla Bowl function and I ran into Keith Morehouse. He's a TV sports anchor up there. Oh, well, wow. if you saw We Are Marshall, he, he was yeah. the little boy in the stands, you know, wa- watching the game who lost his dad. His dad was the play-by-play guy for Marshall. So yeah. he's still around, you know, wow. and he, you know, he, he said it's, it's still just a, it's still just a very significant, special, somber thing for that community. And I, I do believe they feed off of it. You know, I, I wrote about mm-hmm. this in the, in the Tampa Bay times, it, it ran in Sunday's paper, but you know, there's a reason Doc Holliday is 5-0 and in bowl games at Marshall. I mean, you may come out, if you're a Marshall football player, you may come out a little understaffed and may, a little dinged up, but you're not going to come out flat. They, they, they just simply won't allow that. You know, you're playing. It, it really it sounds cliche, but at Marshall, you're playing for something far more than the name on the back of your jersey. You're playing for, for, for 75 souls who, who have been immortalized and will continue to be, and with good reason. So when you play for something that much bigger than yourself, you know, you, you're not going to come out flat. The community and the coaching staff and history won't allow it. So, yeah, USF has a tall order tonight because they're going to face a, you know, a, a very motivated team, a very special program with a very special history. It's a great story, and, of course, we're all familiar with the movie and, and uh, interesting that it's still very much a part of their program. Of course, they've had great players through the years, Chad Pennington and Randy Moss and Byron Leftwich, so – um, it's a program that has sent a lot of people to the NFL as well. Well, we appreciate it, Joey. You can read him in the Tampa Bay Times, of course, in his coverage of uh, the Gasparilla Bowl, USF, and Marshall uh, tomorrow. Thanks so much, Joey. My pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Hey, speaking of college football, we're going to have more from Matt Baker, our college football writer. The Tampa Bay Times is going to wrap up the college signing days for Florida, Florida State, Miami. E didn't do so well as well as uh, other teams uh, across the nation, of course. And then we'll talk college bowl games. The national semifinals are just a week uh, from Saturday, so that's coming up as well. The Lightning, meanwhile, they're at Calgary, which is tied for the lead in the Western Conference with Winnipeg and Nashville, so that'll be quite a game. Uh, that's tonight at 9 o'clock. And we'll get you ready for Bucks at Cowboys. And, folks, remember, if you're tired of paying those high electric bills like I am, call my friends at May Electric Solar. They're a locally-owned company. They'll give you the best prices anywhere, and uh, you need to do that and get that done. You'll save 90 to 95% on your electric bill. Call May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. My thanks again to Tom Jones and, of course, Joey Knight. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Burstink, have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 